Hello, this is Yara Stark, and thank you for downloading this podcast interview. You're about to hear a conversation between David Hooper and myself. David is an expert at marketing for musicians. I recently listened to the audiobook uh, he's written, or <laughs> recorded in this case for audio, and I was really impressed by how similar what he was advising musicians do, in particular with online marketing and social media marketing, to what I might advise someone as a blogger to do to market themselves. Obviously, if you're creative, there's a lot of overlap between whether you're a musician or a writer or you're trying to get a, a video career going or you're doing something with audio online. Whatever it is, you're creating something. The rules for marketing yourself are very similar. So I really enjoyed his audiobook and I invited him to do this interview where he talked about a whole range of different subjects, including how the music industry has changed over the years and why the internet is such a big part of marketing yourself today as a creative individual. Before you listen to that interview, I just want to give you a heads up, as I always do, about my EJ Insider Exclusive Interviews Club. Now, this is my special premium interviews where I give you some interviews that are not released anywhere else. And I also write action plans. These are short documents. They're little reports that I've pulled out the best key leverage points from the people I interview inside that club and highlight them in the report. So you can figure out exactly what it is these people do to get the big results that most people never have. I really think leverage is the key to breaking that $100,000 mark, the half a million dollar mark, and the million dollar mark, and onwards, that so few people ever break with their online business. So listening to interviews and hearing how other people are doing it and then taking out the one or two important things they do is exactly what I've done inside this EJ Insider Exclusive Interviews Club. Plus, of course, there's a bunch of interviews in there. There's a podcast vault with all my previous interviews as well as a lot of bonus interviews. All of this is available on a small monthly fee or a one-time upfront fee where you can get all the brand new interviews that are not available anywhere else. All of this is available for you to check out right now at www.ejinsider.com forward slash interviews. You can find out everything about the program on that page and sign up as well. That's it from me. Here comes the interview. Hello, this is Yaros Starek and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Today, my guest came to me after I listened to his audiobook from his uh, print book. I'm an Audible subscriber, and I was looking at my options and came across this book called The Six-Figure Musician. Now, I'm always keen to find anything to do with uh, marketing online. In this case, the book was about how to basically market yourself as a musician, including offline and online marketing. And I figured there'd have to be some overlap between musician marketing and of course as a, an artist a creative as a writer as anyone producing anything you're trying to sell from your own creativity those are all similar things to being a musician so i had listened to the book i loved it and i thought why not get the author uh, mr david hooper on a call to talk more about everything to do with uh, music marketing in particular online music marketing i'd love to talk about with you david so david thank you for joining me today glad to be here love the blog and i'm very excited about doing this so, uh, David, I don't know much about your background beyond what I learned in the book. And as I was saying to you before we started the recording, the book's not really about you. It's about how other people can learn how to market themselves as a musician and, and make a, a living from it, which is obviously 
a challenging thing. I think probably more so in in music than possibly any other craft, except maybe I don't know. Writing might be a good parallel if you're a, you know a book author. There's there's a few big amazing success stories and a whole lot of people who are just struggling to get by, and, and that's a parallel with music for sure. So, um, is that your story as well? Which side of the fence have you you know been a musician all your life, and uh, which led to music marketing? It absolutely did. I was born in Nashville, just kind of lucked out into that. And Nashville, as you know, even in Australia, it's Music City, USA. Worldwide, we are known as the music epicenter. That's all we do. We don't have Broadway. We don't have anything. We've got music. So it's like being in Detroit, where they call it the Motor City. You're going to work at the factory when you get out of high school, right? That's what you do when you're in Nashville. And I knew a lot of musicians, just they were in the community. Everybody played guitar here. And I did as well. I did my first session actually when I was only five years old on a children's record. And I've been doing music since I was pretty much born. So I thought I was going to be a professional musician, just being the culture here. But I didn't really think much about the business end of it. Like I said, everybody that I knew was a musician. And when you're a kid, you don't think about the business end of it. When I started playing in bands, I went to school for commercial music. I was, I guess, introduced to the music marketing element of things. And that's when I discovered that that, that was actually my gift, not the music itself. So, so what is, I guess, a career path expectation that a young guy born in Nashville thinking he's going to be a musician, what do you expect? You're going to get discovered or you're going to do a, a hard slog of smaller gigs building up to larger gigs? Like, you know, how do you, how do you plan this? You know, I, I thought I was going to be discovered. This is a little bit embarrassing, a couple of embarrassing things. I'll just double down on you. One, I, I wanted to be Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. He was always getting these teenage guitarists and kind of catapulting them into the spotlight. And I thought that was going to be me because I was a pretty good guitar player. But if you remember, and I'm, I'm assuming that, that you've heard of all the same bands I, I have, there was a band called New Edition, and there was another band called New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Kind of boy bands, right? And there was a guy, his name was Maurice Starr, and he was working with all these young bands, and he was making them famous. So I had a, a teenage band. We weren't like a boy band. I just had a band. We were playing like rock and roll. <laughs> I, was, I was getting my demos to Maurice Starr, thinking like, oh, yeah, well, we could do this too. We're, we're 15. He could, he could do something with us. And I really didn't have any idea about the, the music business. I saw all the tall buildings on what we call Music Row here, 16th and 17th Avenue, where the record labels were, but you know, all I knew was musicians and I thought that's how it worked. But I was really schooled in, in, uh, music marketing once I actually started playing out and that was a pretty fast learning curve. And strangely enough, Yaro, this is kind of how I got into the direct marketing, which got me into internet marketing. I made a living when I was in college and really I started in high school doing marketing, what you would call like direct mail, doing like postcard marketing and placing tiny classified ads kind of Don LaPree style in magazines and selling what are now known online as like info products, but I would actually sell them via like a Kinko's copy machine. We would tell people like how to make uh, a machine to get free cable or something to get free long distance. And I would sell these things out of the back of magazines. And that was kind of my introduction to marketing and then put the two together. Okay. So I'm curious then with your book, you were introduced to marketing your boy band didn't exactly take off. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so 
were you thinking, okay, I better learn another skill then because this music career might not be my pathway to riches? Was that like, there must have been a flashpoint, I'm assuming. That's probably a bit of a challenging point in a young guy's life where you're thinking, I'm going to be Ozzy Osbourne's guitarist, who maybe that's not going to happen. And maybe music yeah. won't even be the path. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of little funny things like that. I, I didn't really have any idea how the, the music industry worked when I went to college. And, and my, like my freshman year, for example, I got a, a, a class in radio. And I just thought that they would allow me to play my own music. And I remember the first day he told me, he goes, no, no, because he was asking while we were there. He said, you, you can't do that. That's called playola, and that's illegal. So it was kind of a, a trial by error. And, you know, I had the marketing background. I eventually got a job as a street promotion guy, which is basically a guy that goes out and works with labels and artists and hands out CDs or at the time cassettes. You flyer the kind of people that are climbing telephone poles and putting like 12, 12, uh, you know, of the same poster on, on a, like a telephone pole. And I kind of combined what I had known. I mentioned the, the thing about the, the tiny classified ads and, and, and postcards. I, I combined that with my street promotion, the things that I was learning, and I combined that with music to do really well for myself as like a regional band. And other people started noticing that I was good at music marketing. They were asking me, you know, how, how are you doing this? You're not that great a guitarist, but people are coming to see you. And what is it that you're doing? And I learned from other people, and that's kind of how I discovered my gift. And that's eventually how I moved forward with, with music marketing. Okay. Did, did you eventually just take on clients? Was, is that, was there like a switch from doing your own promotions to, okay, I'll start promoting other people and then I'm a consultant now and, and so on? Yeah, I didn't start out as a consultant. What I started out is, is doing the radio and street promotion. And the reason I did is because simply just lack of money. At, at the time, what I would do, somebody had told me in college, they said the, the way to make money in the music business is what we call music publishing, which is basically owning a copyright. So when your song gets played on the radio or it gets used in television, you make money on that. So I started a small publishing company, but I didn't have money to promote my music to radio or to get it to, uh, to film and, and TV music supervisors. And what I would do is I would have other people pay me money. We would put it all on a compilation CD and I would just do like a group promotion. And that, that's really how the business was started, that along with the street promotion. Okay, and you know what comes next after that? Does you must be thinking, uh, I want to grow this beyond that. Yeah, I had a team. We worked the, the southeast. We would do various regions, and we would promote bands that would come through, and that was fun. But you know, I was learning stuff, and I was I was doing stuff, and I had stuff to learn, or stuff to teach rather, beyond just uh, you know handing out flyers. Because again, to take it back to that that background of. That, that's how I made my money in college is I was placing these ads. It's actually, that's another kind of funny story is I was so glad to go to college because I had a, a, a P.O. box finally. I didn't have to do this thing from my house. And I would go to like the university post office and I was having like bins of mail delivered. And they were all delivered to like whatever the ad was called. We were tracking these ads and they would say, who is this? This isn't you. Oh, that's the name of my band. This is just fan mail. But it was actually orders and things coming in, right? So I, I had I had learned you know that element of things and I was applying it to my music marketing and I wanted to get out there and, and teach people these things I really just started writing about it 
and eventually that that became books and it became speaking engagements and it became not me doing the work but me going into offices here in music row on nashville and working with these companies and helping them to kind of change up their promotion i was one of the first guys online i started the company actually in 1995 so when i eventually moved back to nashville in the late 90s I was one of the first guys that had a really good kind of head on his shoulders about doing online marketing. And that's kind of how the whole consulting and the internet thing moved from, from just the simple street promotion. Mm -hmm. I'm actually curious then what did work after street promotion? So once the internet started becoming more of a part of the marketing puzzle, did you really dive into studying internet marketing yourself more so? Well, for me at first, I think it was a just kind of an offshoot of the, the direct marketing things that I was doing. It was the same things that worked on the street or when I was in high school, I like had telemarketing jobs, the same things that we would do as like a door-to-door telemarketer to get attention, the same things that we would do to get a postcard read or get somebody to respond, but we would put it online. For example, one of the things we used to do as, as a street promoter, like I would go up to I knew that women were kind of the decision makers and men would follow women wherever they would go. So we would do sometimes promotions where all we would do would be to promote to women. Like if I had a hot band coming through, I would say, you know, here, here's a ticket for you and your friend, knowing that if the women were going for free, the men would follow and they would, they would pay. Kind of like what you might see in ladies' nights. Have you ever seen that in like a local club where they have ladies' nights or ladies drink free? It's the same kind of concept. I was, yep. I was l- learning th- those little things from either either bars or the postcard things or the direct sales, and I was transforming them into music and also transforming them online. Because it's the same stuff that, that, that you would do online is going to work for offline. The, the mistake I think that people make doing online marketing, especially for musicians, but it would also work for authors, is they don't go for like a, a niched out list with musicians. If I've got a musician on tour, we don't want to just send out an email, for example, that says, Hey everybody, we're playing in Nashville this weekend. That needs just to go to the people that are only in Nashville. Mm. So I, I think, you know, that would be one of the things that we brought over. It's just the, the, the very niched out list in direct mail. It's too expensive to do a big blast. But what I saw musicians doing is they were doing like these huge blasts. I don't know that it's necessarily helpful to anybody now because I think it's obvious now, but at the time it was, it was pretty ingenious because everybody thought that email was, was free and people were actually reading emails back then. But it was like, uh-uh, you got to get real specific and tailored with your message if you want people to read. So yeah, It's an interesting point because your, your product you're selling is so geographically tied where for most of my work, I can sell to anyone around the world because it's information. Plus, like I'm assuming it's the same thing for you with, with your actual training products. You, you don't have to sell to people in Nashville. You can sell to musicians around the world. But if you're a musician, you actually play your gig in a city and there's no point promoting your entire list that you're going to be in one city. Although, you know, there's, you know, I, I've had people come to me and say, you know, why segment your list? Because maybe someone hasn't been responding for the last 10 emails, but the 11th one happens to be the one they do respond to. I can kind of see the argument might be similar. Okay, I'm not in Nashville, but I still want to know if the band I really love is playing in Nashville because maybe I'll decide just to catch a plane, just to go and see it. Um, Do you find that sort of segment mentality is potentially like, well, What's better? Is it, it, have you had better results just getting very, very niche specific with people? 
or does it depend on the band how how rabid a following they have or I think you do have to be very specific. There is a chance that somebody on your list might catch a plane and they might come see you, but you're also going to agitate the other 99% of them that wouldn't do that. So it's kind of like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like flying across the country to play a gig. I used to have bands tell me that, well, it's worth it if we can just get one fan. I said, no, it's not worth it because you just had to hop four guys into a plane or drive across the country or take a bus over there. And one person's not worth the expense or the time or the energy that you put into it. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about segment, you know, we're talking about geography here when it comes to bands or somebody that's doing like a live gig, but you could probably segment your, your list in other ways. The, the concept would still work. For example, if you've got somebody who's interested in blogging, you're going to want to hit them with blogging products. And that may or may not be the same people that are interested in maybe podcasting mm. or the same people that are interested in, in direct mail. There's certainly going to be some kind of overlap, but I think it's always a game of, you know, you're, you're going to agitate a portion of those people off and some people might come in there. So, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you kind of walk that line? Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, now what I'd love to do uh, with you, David, you're the perfect person to sort of talk about this. Now, the music industry has gone through obviously some massive changes in the last 10, 15, 20 years with the, the move away from, I guess, short tail where you're selling albums and CDs and the big bands are getting lots of the, well, they're getting the lion's share of the, the sales to the more long tail model where you've got these smaller niches becoming viable because you can reach audiences in ways you couldn't reach before. And I actually remember, you correct me if I'm wrong, hearing that, was it InSync? Their album was the last big selling album before the sort of switch to MP3. And it's very likely they will stay the number one all-time selling album simply because of the long tail now making it you know the biggest the biggest sellers are not as big a seller as they used to be because they don't monopolize all the, the distribution channels does that sound right to you yeah that's correct and i think that statistic was for the first week sales right so, and what we're seeing is even a couple days ago for example taylor swift the biggest artist right now in in the world she's a country artist out of nashville she was in town a couple days ago and I was just thinking about Taylor in that, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, she would have been selling 10 times as many records. It's just a different business, but it doesn't necessarily mean that she's not making money. Yeah, the, the business has changed, and I, I would love to, to talk about that. I mean, for one, it used to be a, a kind of a, a broadcast business, I would call it, where there were a few outlets, mainly radio, MTV. It was a really, really big deal. If you got on MTV, that was equal to like 15,000 spins on radio. It was crazy. And now we have what you're calling the, the long tail. It's customized for you iTunes just released iTunes radio. We have Spotify, we have Pandora and it's not for everybody, but it is for you. And it's a great opportunity for indie bands. The, the, the people that really like, let's say polka music, they're going to be much, much happier before it was kind of what I was talking about, about your mailing list that, you know, some people are going to be happy. Some people are going to be agitated and you're just trying to keep everybody happy you know, as best you can walk that line. Mm. But nowadays everybody can not only be happy, but really, really happy. But for creators, for guys like you and me, we're not going to have those big in-sync type, type acts anymore. It's, 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 it's kind of a, a, uh, I don't want to call it redistribution of, of wealth, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of 
spread out a little bit more. Yeah, and I think that's great because, for example, my taste in music is, uh, you know, the electronic uh, European trance progressive sort of movement, and I just listen to podcasts because um, there's a constant stream of new digital music being produced by all the artists I like. They're all free on iTunes, and there's too much. I can't keep up with it all coming at me. Now, I've, I've often been thinking, how do these artists make a living? And it's obviously been mostly events now. That's, that's where the, the money's coming from. So that, that was my next question for you. How does a musician in today's world currently make six figures? How can you become a six-figure earner as a musician? Before I get to that, let me let me just segue here. Something you just said, you like a certain type of electronic music, and you know what's really exciting is that Spotify, for example, they analyze music electronically. There's some kind of algorithm, and if you thumb up or thumb down what you like, you can filter all the other music that you don't like out and get only what you want, and it's easier than ever for you to get exactly what you like. That's how we're going to find out about new music. It doesn't have to be broadcast. It doesn't have to be like Pandora is, which is a human element. They listen to songs three or four times for like 47 different properties or something like that. We're getting better and better at getting the people exactly what it is that they want, which is very exciting. Now, as far as as far as making the money, I think you're onto something. The live experience is something that cannot be duplicated or shared via a torrent site. It's a if if you and I were at the same show, we're going to have a different experience, even though we're standing there within maybe three feet of each other. And that's something that is worth paying for, and people are paying for that. I think it's sad for the record labels, but as far as creators and musicians that are willing to get out there and do it live and give people an experience, it's a very 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 exciting time because no matter what happens with technology people still want to connect people still want to use all their senses not just their ears they want to see it taste it feel it touch it smell it and that's what a live experience does and if, if you can as an internet marketer bring that to your your business you're not going to ever have to worry about torrent sites or any of the the piracy or kinkos you know we used to be worried about this stuff they said radio was going to kill live music. They said that radio would kill records. They said that records would kill whatever. Home taping. I don't know if you ever saw that famous campaign from England. Home taping's killing music. <laughs> and what we found is that, that music has, has persisted beyond anything that we could have imagined. And I think that's good. That's one of the reasons that I've been able to do well. And, and people are starting to notice me outside the music industry because the music industry is so far ahead of of things being copied and pirated. We are the first for digital distribution, and, and we learned lessons the hard way, some of them, but we're also really, really far ahead of everybody else, and I think that we're gonna be able to help the movie industry, the book industry, the internet marketing mm. industry, some of these people that are having issues with, with their things being copied now. That's funny, because you know, we often sort of look at the music industry as how not to do the transition to digital because of all that period of time where the labels were suing their their listeners for downloading oh, yes. illegally and how bizarre that idea really is. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, like, to take your point, what you're saying then is all this music, like, for example, I watch film clips on, on YouTube and I can get them straight away and I can watch them on my TV now using streaming there. And, you know, it's my new form of MTV or whatever the equivalent would be in your own country. So I can listen to anything I want, anytime I like, on any uh, distribution mechanism I have, my TV, my phone, my computer, whatever I like. It's all available. It's all free. 
So to go back to that original question, how on earth does an artist make money nowadays? Even with the argument of, okay, the radio didn't kill the musician and neither the tape recording and all that. So YouTube, you're saying, doesn't and neither does all these free podcasts. So to get to a six-figure level as a small independent artist, how on earth can you do that if you're giving away everything for free? Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you two answers. One, here's the great thing about YouTube. I, I mentioned starting a music publishing company when I was little, and, and that's exactly who YouTube is paying when music is played. So they've got to deal with all these what we call performing rights organizations, ASCAP, BMI in Canada. It's, it's SOCAN. I'm, I'm not sure what it is where you are in Australia, but every country has one. And it simply means when music is played, these performing rights organizations collect money for it, and they distribute it to the writers and to the people who own the copyright on the song. So there's a great opportunity for people to make money via YouTube. I, I saw that, um, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Who's, who's the Asian guy, the Gangnam Style guy? Uh, oh, um, Gangnam Style, yeah. Um, uh, whatever Cy? his name is. Sai. I, yeah. I can't think of his name, but I can't get the song out of my head. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this, this guy got a lot of plays, and you say, well... Now, he didn't make any money for that, but he did because, or whoever wrote the song did. But here's the exciting part, is that if your product is everywhere, I want you to think about Microsoft. How many people have a copy, a pirated copy of Microsoft, Windows, or Word, or Excel on your computer? A lot of people, right? Is Microsoft worried about that? Well, I don't know. But, but not really, because there's value when everybody has your stuff, because then you can have the auxiliary products. For example, if everybody in the world were to get your music for free, I would love that. If you want to get into the marketing of, of my new book, you mentioned that. You know, the new book, you bought a copy on Audible, but the PDF is available for free. And it's not an edited version because I realized that people having my book for free was going to be valuable. The biggest issue that musicians face, and you hit on it, is that pe people are gonna, they're not going to know that the music exists. Same thing for authors. So I would rather... You know, people are going to steal it anyway, and I understand like a global economy. I want this information available to a guy in India or a guy in Philippines that maybe isn't making 15 or 20 bucks. That's a lot of money to him, and then getting it to him physically is another, you know, drama because the postal service isn't so great. If they can download a digital copy for free, I would rather have that because that makes what I do more valuable. It's almost like your blog content. It's great to read it on entrepreneursjourney.com. But if you think about like guest posts and how people have great luck with that, it's more valuable sometimes when other people have it because it gets it out to their audience and it gets it out to new people and, and you know, same, same concept. Okay. Well, you know, to continue then down this track, you're giving away your book now as a free PDF. We're talking about it on this podcast and, you know, some people from the listeners here are going to grab it and listen to it. Uh, now you're saying that we should be giving away as much as we can, then... How do you make money after this process, David? How do you make a living, not even just as a musician, but as a teacher now, a coach? Like, what, what's your, your sales funnel? And I, I still want you to answer the question, though, how does a musician today make you know, a living? And, and thank you know, thank you for, for, for keeping me on track of that, because I didn't, I didn't follow through. That. So let, let, me, let me go back to that first of all. So if, if everybody has your music in the world, if, if you, you're doing your music similar to how a lot of people do, like Microsoft Windows or Microsoft Word, where they've, they've pirated that, you know, that can be copied. When somebody takes a copy of that, it's not like a chair. If I took your chair, you don't have a chair anymore. But 
if I can make a digital copy of that chair, you would keep your chair and I would have a chair as well. So music is replicatable like that. And, and, and they're making it through the live events, which is what we talked about earlier. The stuff that can't be pirated, they're making it through t-shirt sales and merchandising. I have several examples in the book, which are people that sell more money, I'm, I'm sorry, sell more merchandise and make more money via merchandise than they actually do music. If you think about, I think about like bands like Danzig, Iron Maiden. If you think about, I mean, there, there's some bands that are just just unbelievable when it comes to, to, to merchandising. And, and Motorhead is another one. I mean, I, I see people um, run DMC. That's another one. And I remember talking to a woman. It's, oh, run DMC. You know, I, I, I know those guys. And, and she didn't even know who they were. She just liked the T-shirt. And it's an example of that because there's a, you know, you can't copy a t-shirt. I guess there's like bootlegs and things of that nature, but it's, it's not like the same as music. So what you're saying then, it's, it's really, your music is your free value giveaway in order to get attention, gain exposure. And then it's everything ancillary to that, whether it's a live performance or products and, and everything you can put your name to, that is how musicians will make money going forward at the moment. Yeah, music puts you on the map. I think about Jennifer Lopez, for example. Started her career as a dancer, but we're going to say just for this that it's a musician. That's how a lot of people know her. And if you go to Amazon.com, you can buy used copies of her CD for one cent. If you buy it brand new, you know, maybe she makes a buck or two. It's not enough to live her lifestyle. But if she gets a television or a film role, she could make $10, 20000000 million on that. So sometimes music is just the gateway, and that's what kind of... I guess I would say boost you up to where it makes the other things that you do better. Now you ask about me and that's the same thing. When I go to speak at like a music conference, I'm a whole lot more valuable having had that book and having people know who I am because I come in with a platform than I would be just a guy with good ideas. The guy that I started out as just a guy basically on the street doing street promotion, putting up a bunch of flyers on a phone pole. Mm-hmm. But what do you get? Because, 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 because I'm, I'm the David Hooper now, not just, some guy. But who gives you money though, David? Well, I do a lot of promotion and marketing consulting for labels. So my business is, is funded. I mean, and I make money off like the audiobooks and things of that nature, but people will call, come me, call me in because they want me to help them sell more records, get more people to their shows, make more money. And I, I come in as like a consultant. Do you have t-shirts? <laughs> I did have a t-shirt one time just as a joke. It said, my band is big in Japan, which is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was just, you know, just a fun thing to do. <laughs> okay. It's really not about me. And I'm glad you said that about the book, because that's one of the things that we wanted to, to make it about. And I think this is a, another big takeaway is that I'm telling stories on this podcast because I think stories are fun. and I think they can sell the point, but in the end, it's, it's really about the listener. It's what, they feel when they hear music it's what they are able to do when they read a blog post it's not i mean nobody nobody buys you, nobody goes to entrepreneur's journey but because of you yarrow you know that they go to entrepreneur's journey because they feel good when they read the articles or they learn something or they make money and i think that's something that it's easy to to lose track of especially when you're in a very ego driven business like music business where we've got these artists that they think because they wrote 12 good songs that the world all of a sudden revolves around them. The ones that have really kept it together for years and years are the ones that make it about the fans. Kiss, 
is a great example. Kiss has been around for 40 years. Believe it. I mean, that's unbelievable to me. And the way they do that is they thank the fans every time they're out there signing autographs. I mentioned Taylor Swift. People don't see Taylor Swift when she's exhausted. She'll sit there for 10, 12 hours sometimes signing autographs. Nobody talks about that. Mm. But she makes it about the fans. She brings them into the show. I'll give you another one. Jimmy Buffett. I just had his producer on the radio show last week. And he has the most successful American-produced song ever, Margaritaville. And the reason it is is because it, there's a line of blenders called Margaritaville Blenders. There's a restaurant chain, Margaritaville. He's got successful tours every summer. And he has a rule. He never puts himself up on the big screen, only what he calls parrot heads, only the audience. He makes the show about them. And I think that's one of the reasons why live music is so important. That's why the music that you listen to is so important. It's not really about the DJ. It's dance music is about you getting in there and dancing and you become the superstar. It's not about what's going on on stage. It's about what's going on in your heart and your mind and your body. I have to say that was the one underlying principle that came through in your book more than anything else is that in a nutshell, what you sell as an artist is feelings. It's what you can create in your audience is the value. So like you were just saying before, you know, I could, I could argue that people do come to my blog because of me, but you're quite right. If you distill that, it's not because of me, it's because of what I write and how that makes them feel. So it's a feeling that we all generate as creative artists in other people that creates value and that how we can derive value in terms of getting a, a financial return on that. That's the tricky part, I think, and that, that's the bit that keeps changing. But the actual value proposition hasn't changed in this entire time frame. And that clearly came through in your book. I think. I th thank you for that. And, and, and let me give you another thing that's sort of related to that, because people think that, we'll use my book as an example. I, I'm not selling a book. What I'm selling, the book actually stands in the way of. What I'm selling is a way for a musician to go out and market themselves successfully and make money and be able to do music for a living. I'm not selling books. I'm selling a way for you to make a living. And I think any internet marketer that thinks about that, you know, sometimes your product is standing in the way of the goal people want. We're not selling pills. We're not selling a weight loss supplement. We're selling a happy life because you've gotten to the point where you've lost all that weight. And if you can understand that, that's really going to get, that's, that's the psychology behind why people buy. And the closer you can get directly to that, it's like going right into the vein. It's like mainlining marketing. And you'll sell more products because of that. I do have, I think, a really important question, David, for anyone listening to this. Because some of this we're talking about is a bit abstract. And, and I think people understand what we're saying here. You know, providing value, creating emotional experiences. When it comes to actually return on investment, though, as an artist, one of the biggest things right now in particular, and this is really, I think, important for musicians, is longevity of income streams. In particular, the possibility or potential of some kind of passive income stream from what you do. Now, it's obvious for a band like Kiss that you know, their longevity is, is continuing to fuel their product sales as well, all the merchandise being sold, and also the gigs. They still get people buying tickets to their shows, but they're still doing shows too. You know, there's, there's work required there. Now, and also with you talking about your example, giving away 
your materials, which is leading to consulting and, and providing, you know, teaching and coaching and working with, with big companies. That's still you doing, I guess, a labor job, which at some point you're probably going to go, you know what, I'm just tired of talking about music marketing and helping these bands. You know, I, I want to do something different. But if I stop, my income dries up. And, and, you know, as a blogger, it's the same sort of question. If I stop writing my blog, will my income stop as well? What do you sort of recommend or, or even teach your client musicians, especially the smaller ones? We're talking the long tail, that polka dance artist who's making, mm -hmm. you know, ten, five, ten thousand a month, but it's purely based on gigs they're doing and they're giving away lots of free music and they're, they're doing everything you talk about really working closely with their fans but let's face it's it dollars for hours though. yeah it's and it's yeah. it's small too they're not going to be able to retire on one or two or three really good years like a, a big big hit will like a you know if a justin bieber gets discovered off youtube and then suddenly becomes what he is now he's obviously set for life but that's not going to happen to most people so what do you kind of what do you suggest and and even for your own business like how do you plan for a future uh, in, in an industry like music well, you, you hit on a couple of things, and I think you gave great examples with Kiss and Justin Bieber. So let's, let's talk about Kiss first of all. Kiss, you probably know this, but the guys that are all dressed up, there are only two of them that are the original people. The drummer and the guitar player are just guys they put in, in the original people's makeup. So that's one of the ways, avoiding what I would call the key man issue, where it's personality driven. A lot of these I'm in the buckle of the Bible Belt, so I'm going to use like a church reference. Say a lot of these preachers or motivational speakers, there's a key man issue, and when they die, everything dies with them. Somebody like Kiss or Blue Man Group, think about Blue Man Group. Mm. You just put blue paint on you, and, and you know how many Blue Man Groups there are. There's probably a dozen of them touring the world at any given time. Cirque du Soleil is like that. Kiss is going to be like that. There's going to be, I'm convinced, like a robotic Kiss, some guy dressed up as Gene Simmons. <laughs> is this going to happen but, to David Hooper too, though? Is it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not really. But, but what I can do is, is I can do DVDs. You can replicate, you replicate yourselves in other ways. Now, what I could do, do you know a, a guy named Dave Ramsey? He's huge in the in, uh, United States, 500 stations. And Dave Ramsey is a great example because it's a very personality-driven brand. But one of the things that he's doing, he's going out and finding other lifestyle people such as him. He helps you get out of debt, but let's say he wanted to go out and find somebody who could make you have a better marriage. Or maybe you've got drug addiction. He's got somebody that can help you with that. Or maybe he's got somebody that's going to help you quit your job. And he finds people that would be good for his audience, and then he puts them on the road. And you could do the same thing, Yarrow. You know, Evan Pagan, you probably know that name. He's an mm. internet marketer, and he's done that. He has, and don't quote me on this, but I'm just going to say it anyway, but he had, uh, you know, he, he made his name as, as David D'Angelo, and he was giving dating advice, but he also had a guy who was giving dating advice to women. It wasn't him. It was just somebody that he hired. He had somebody with Christian kind Carpenter. of Yes. Uh, somebody, there was somebody he had working for him with an astrology background, and he basically took his model and he replicated it. If you look at any business, CD Baby, famous online uh, CD store, they did the same thing with something called Film Baby. And I don't know how successful that was, but the infrastructure was already there. So they could change up things and, and replicate themselves. There's various different ways to replicate yourself. 
And here are the things. One, you don't want to be a key man. You don't want to be tied to everything. So see what you can do. Who else would your your audience be interested in? What are the kind of information? And introduce them to that. And if you own part of that, that gets me to my second, second element that you hit on was copyright. One of the reasons that Justin Bieber is making so much money is because he owns the copyright on that. And he has replicated it. He's getting so much airplay that he can make money anytime his music gets played as long as he's written it. That's how it works. It's not the artist that gets paid on airplay, but it's the person who writes it and the person who owns the copyright. So if you can do that with your content, like you talk about blogging, and I certainly understand that. I've often wondered about some of the, the passive income blogs, if they could just literally stop and still have that passive income from the blog itself. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But if you own the copyright, there's certainly ways to repurpose that. And if you're talking about the emotion that we talked about earlier about just getting into the, the reason people buy and letting them have that experience. That's something that if let's say blogs go away, well, whatever the next thing is, you're going to be able to, to change that. Like, you know, we had paper newsletters, then we had email newsletters and now we've got blogs and we'll have video newsletters and a hologram newsletter. The content more or less is going to be the same. And as long as you own your copyright to take it back to kiss, you know, kiss owns that logo. And I think there's something like it's, it's hundreds, if not thousands of, of licensees that, that they've licensed that to yeah. the, the, the kiss casket, the uh, kiss cigarette lighters, a kiss phone, kiss energy drink. So yeah. co- copy, th- those are the two things that, that I would say for, for longevity, just, we don't know where things are going to go, but if you own the copyright and if you don't become attached, a, a lot of people I know like to, uh, they like to be the brand and there's advantages to that, but there's also disadvantages mm. as far as replication. The, the way I'm hearing what you're saying too, if I was to apply this to the long tail and the greater majority of, of artists would be, uh, well, two parts of this. You, you want to establish that raving fan base. And I, I think you reference it in the book with like Seth Godin's tribes or um, Kevin Kelly's 1000 true fans, you know, those two concepts uh, and, and even if you're a you're a smaller artist, but you still have that really hardcore following, they're the ones who are going to buy the David Hooper casket if there ever is such a thing. Um, <laughs> and you know, understanding that it's nurturing the small group who buy everything you do, no matter what format you produce it in, that that really matters. But also marrying that with understanding that what you are doing is building up a, a base of attention. And if you can make that attention transferable to income streams that you don't personally have to create, that's how you can uh, avoid that key man issue, like you said, and, and potentially start building some some income streams that aren't dependent on you personally doing the work, like a David Hooper casket business at one stage in the future. You know, something else I, I think that I've recently started thinking about from working with artists all these years and, and from talking with people like you who are outside the industry but have, have read the book is just the general goal of what people want. It's one thing to sell a lot of pieces in our business, for example, of of plastic with ones and zeros encoded on them with a laser beam. But it's a totally other thing, I think, to have impact. And I think that's something else to look at because you don't necessarily have to be the biggest person in the world 
to have a great impact. And if you sell 2,000 widgets instead of 1,000 widgets, that's not, necessi not ne necessarily going to be more impact for people. You can have impact on one person. If I adopted a, a, a needy kid right now, I could make a huge impact on him, probably more than I've made on, on any musician personally. So I, I think that's something else to think about. It's like, what do you want out of this? Because once you achieve a certain level of success, and maybe it's my age, I just turned 41 a couple days ago, you know, you go through that midlife crisis. But once you get the money where it needs to be, and you, you've got the house, and there have been studies done that say, you know, after $60,000, your life doesn't get a whole lot better once you've got your basic needs taken care of. And, and, and I would suggest to, to think about that beyond just a number, and beyond just quitting your job, what is it that, that you really want to do with your life? And maybe I'm going too deep, Yaro, but I, I think it's something that's eventually going to catch up with people. And if you can kind of think about it now, it'll lead you to a more fulfilling career. I think the musician's coming out in you uh, right now, David. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll just pull the plug on that. <laughs> no, no, there's a whole other discussion there, too, about the, what's valuable in life. And I think you know, everyone goes through a process of figuring that out from the, from the early 20s to 30s and beyond. So... Um, probably best for me to start wrapping this up, I think. Uh, unfortunately, I have some other stuff coming up. I'd love to keep talking about this, but we've... Well, is there, is there anything that you, you wanted to ask that, that you didn't, or have I, have I not, uh, not hit on? Because I want to I make sure you walk away with, with your needs met, because well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity I was, I was I was going to, um, you know, obviously, first of all, let's tell everyone where your, your website is, David, for, for more information. Well, the website, if you want the book, the book is free at musicianbook.com. If you just want to follow the, the way that I'm doing it, I think it's, it's a great marketing lesson on if you're thinking about giving information away, how you can do it and how you can follow up. I blog about music at a site called musicmarketing.com. And I've actually, Yaro, because of people like you, I've decided to talk about non-music marketing. And I just put up a site called Big Bold Impact. Dot com that may have some stuff that's a little bit more relevant to internet marketers specifically. Mm. Well, I, I certainly encourage people to go download your book and, and grab that. As I said, I, I went through the audio version from start to finish, and there was so much overlap from for anyone who creates anything really and, and is looking to sell something that's of their creation and, and build up an audience. There was very very relevant content there, and you know I was curious too because. I have, a, I guess, a romanticized view of what it means to be a musician because, you know, at the top of the field, it's, it's like this strange world that we idolize. I think movie stars and musicians at the top of their, their field, it, it is a strange, strange place that to be like the Lady Gaga or something like that where you are defining cultural aspects and influencing so many people just because you essentially have a lot of exposure and you create a lot of uh, emotional chemistry with with those people so you, you sway a lot of attention and and then it's got some just strange people in it i mean we're talking about kiss and justin bieber and lady gaga there's there's a, oh, not yeah. a lot of normal <laughs> things going on in the no in i the think music you have industry. to be a little bit weird weird wins in, in the music industry but yeah. it, it's, it's funny to, to look at it from the outside though because i go to like blogging conferences or writer conferences and you probably don't see it because you're in the inside though, Yarl, but you're, you're having that same kind of impact on people. Bloggers are the new rock stars, you know? A little bit. I'm not wearing makeup yet for it. Um, <laughs> Come out in a meat suit. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, the scary thing is, I think it would probably do positive things for my my reach. You know, I'd, I'd actually it'd be a good marketing technique. <laughs> well, but if, if we can just maybe finish up with this, but think think about Lady Gaga. It's not about the meat. It's about self expression. It's about being who you are. And she's telling young girls that it's it's okay to be who you are, and you feel like you don't fit in. Well, let's embrace that. Let's throw some gas on it. Let's hit the gas and let's put the NASCAR engine in it. That is really what she's doing to kind of take it back full circle. Mm. And I I think anybody can do that. Maybe not in the same way that she's doing because weird for weird's sake doesn't really work. And we've seen some major music business just screw ups lately. And I'll just leave it at that, that don't really connect with people. But when they do connect, when you take the time to find out what your audience wants and, and what their needs are and what their emotional thoughts are, that's when it really connects. She's not wearing a meat suit just because of that. She's telling young girls, it's okay. Be a little bit weird. You will be embraced. And that's how she built that tribe. Oh, well, yeah. And there's obviously a level of expectation around what, she does and can do to get away with that sort of thing too i doubt certain other artists like of uh i don't know i was trying to think of someone classically kenny trained. g yeah <laughs> kenny g or uh, who's uh doing a lot of jing jing i can't remember the pianist that's going around a lot lately from china he's uh i don't think he'd be quite accepted the same way if he came out in a meat suit with his audience but you know Congruency with your brand image is very important, I think, once you well, establish and, and, it. And people can spot fake. People can spot fake. This is one of the great things that I think that we're seeing in, in blogging is just the transparency and the authenticity because people, they know when it's real and they know when it's not. You can fool them for a little while, but you're not going to fool them for long. Mm-hmm. And it has to have some kind of level of authenticity. I, I think that Gaga has done that. I don't care for her music, but as an artist, man, I appreciate her. Okay, David, let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you for jumping on this call with me. Uh, again, just those websites for people one more time. Well, if you want the book, just, just go to musicmarketing.com. You can read about my blogging, uh, about musicians, experiences I've had with musicians, and, and how to sell more music. I think any of that stuff is going to work with with an info product or an internet marketer or a blogger. And if you're interested in some non-music stuff, I just put up a blog at bigboldimpact.com. And that gets more into the internet marketing and just general marketing space. Okay. Thank you, David. Uh, Any last minute words before I hit the stop button? You know what? I just appreciate the opportunity. I've I've loved your site for a long time. It's it's an honor that somebody would actually read the book. And thank you very much. All right, David. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening in to this episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. If you want more like this, you can head to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com. Or Google my name, uh, Yarrow, Y-A-R-O. And I can well and truly say after this podcast that I am going for a one name fame, much like Madonna or, you know, Agaga. And uh, that's what Yarrow is, can work as. So Y-A-R-O, find all my work that way. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. There you go. The end of the interview with David Hooper. I hope you enjoyed that. 
One last reminder, if you haven't signed up for my EJ Insider program, please head to www.ejinsider.com forward slash interviews and you'll find more amazing background stories as well as all the techniques and advice and inspiration you could ever want as an online blogger or information marketer or someone looking to sell software from stories of other people who've had great success doing this already. All the interviews are available for you to download inside the EJ Insider program, as well as the action plans I've written myself to highlight the key parts of what I believe these people do really well that gives them the leverage for the big results. You can download those action plans, the new interviews, as well as an archive of all my previous interviews and some bonus interviews from, from coaching programs that are unreleased before inside the www.ejinsider.com forward slash interviews exclusive club. Please check it out now and uh, sign up if you think it's the right thing for you at this time. My name is Yarrow. Thanks again for listening and I'll talk to you on a future interview. Bye-bye.